Welcome to The Struggle is Real, a podcast by Family Bridges for modern parenting. Check out this week's episode. What are you doing? Making dessert. Can it wait till I finish a chapter? You know mommy just wants to finish one chapter. I'm almost done. Alexia doesn't love Mrs. Eckert because Mrs. Eckert calls Alexia lazy and a daydreamer and wants to make Alexia repeat the fifth grade. Do you like to kiss a frog? Stop! That's not how you're gonna read it, is it? What? You sound positively bored. Try it once more with feeling. The Struggle is Real podcast starts in three, two, one. Welcome to The Struggle is Real, a modern parenting podcast by Family Bridges. Thanks for joining us. I'm Veronica Avila. And Omar Ramos is out on a special assignment. So in his absence, we have Freddie Beckley, who's joining us today as guest co-host. Hello. How are you? Thank you, Veronica. It's always <laughs> a pleasure to be here. I love it here. It's great to have you here. And of course, we also have our very own resident expert. Dr. Alicia Laos. How's everyone doing? Good. How Good. are you? I'm doing well. We're reading today, right? Ooh, are we reading? I love to read. Well, I'm reading my script right now and it says that we're reading. <laughs> what a fantastic topic. So today we are reading and to discuss our topic of reading, we've actually invited an author. That is Todd Tarpley, the award-winning author of children's books, including Beep Beep, Go to Sleep, among others, and his forthcoming books, How to Become a Knight and Three Grumpy Trucks, both to be published in the fall of 2018. He's also a loving father of two boys. Welcome, Todd. Hello. It's nice to have you here. So before we begin, let me ask you, do you like to read? I like to read, yes. What are some of your favorite things to read? I like to read picture books. I like to read Dr. Seuss. I like to read Mo Willems. I like to read anything that's a picture book. Absolutely. Nice. I'm a big fan of the artwork of Dr. Seuss myself as well. It's it's Mm -hmm. beautiful. One of the things I love about reading is it gives you the opportunity to immerse yourself in a different type of world to learn something new. So why not encourage our children to embark on similar experiences? With that in mind, I'd like to take a listen to our first sketch, How to Read When You Have Kids. Hmm. Easier said than done. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There was a white horse on a quiet winter morning when snow covered the streets gently and was not deep and the sky was swept with vibrant stars. The sky was swept with vibrant stars. Jeffy! I'm fine. What did I say before? You're trying to read. What are you doing? Making dessert. Can it wait till I finish a chapter? You know mommy just wants to finish one chapter. I'm almost done. What are you making? A surprise. You're not using the oven, are you? No. There was a white horse on a quiet winter morning. Reminder, you have a dental appointment scheduled for Monday, March. (sighs) When snow covered the streets gently and was not deep. Text C to confirm dental appointment scheduled for later. Ringer, vibrate. The sky was swept with vibrant stars, except in the east, where dawn was beginning in a light blue flood. (sighs) Ringer, silent. He trotted along the carriage road. Wait, who trotted? Is someone riding the horse? There was a white horse on a quiet winter morning. The sky was swept with vibrant stars. Dawn was beginning in a light blue flood. Uh, doesn't say. Okay, good, I'm not dumb. Come on now, Jasmine, focus. 
Jeffy, what are you microwaving? I'm almost done. When you finish up in there, I want you to come read your book next to me. I don't know where it is. I have it right here. But I don't want to. Jeffy, I am the only mother in my reading group who hasn't started this book yet. I haven't read a real book in almost five years. Now please, please, baby boy, will you help me out? Okay. The surprise is ready. What are those? S'mores. They look delicious. Thank you so much. Now come sit next to me. Here's your book. Will you read it to me? You're going to read it to yourself, like you practice at the library. Just whisper the words very, very quietly. We've read this book a hundred times. You can do it. Want a s'more? Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Now remember, shh. Oh, right. Once upon a time. There was a white horse on a quiet winter morning when snow covered the streets gently and was not deep. Ah, that was so sweet and it sounds so familiar, right? So we had a Jasmine trying to read her book and then Jeffy, her son, is trying to make s'mores, you know, a nice surprise for mom. But then she gets the text, the reminders of, of the appointment. Obviously, Jasmine continues to get interrupted and she gets a little frustrated. But then we see the little boy coming at the end with the s'mores and they finally read. How can we handle a situation like this, doctor? Well, the whole time I was thinking, what is he doing? Because... <laughs> <laughs> my children, well, and they say that they're making dessert. <laughs> my heart starts beating very fast. Yes. Because <laughs> you know how that goes. Um, I just never know if that's play dessert or, you know, there really is a uh-huh. concoction happening. Um, but God bless her. You know, as parents, how many of us can't relate to all these things happening mm-hmm. when it's trying to get in the middle or interrupt our really strong desire to do things like, like reading and what yes. can you do? I just know that I become very creative about it. I know some parents will do reading hour mm-hmm. and everybody's reading and then they get into the habit of doing that. And so originally, you know, it might be hard, but because they do it consistently, everybody know that it's so-and-so time. Everybody's going to read for 30 minutes or whatever. You know, maybe going to the library habitually, like it sounded like this parent does, and also creating the habit. I remember when my my husband takes the kids a lot to the library and the very beginning, I remember seeing our two-year-old, you know, at that time, she's mm-hmm. older now, and she's just grabbing all the books and pouring them out of the bookshelf and it was a disaster running around trying to chase her and I was like we're never going to do this again Um, (laughs) but eventually by just continuously guiding her now they know that when you go to the library what you do is you read books but that took us just consistently showing Mm -hmm. up at that context and guiding them and everybody reads when they're in the library so whatever it is that you kind of figure out what to do as a parent you have to just stay the course because you are going to get the text and you're going to get interrupted and you do have to put the phone on silent just know if you haven't like this mom poor mom she had really read a real book (laughs) forever that when you retake that if you've kind of put it aside because parenting just took over your life and you read you know you're like okay I'm going to do this that you do have to kind of create a space and some ritual and some routine where you put the phone aside or perhaps go to a quiet spot or wait when the kids are going to bed. You know, you got to kind of really figure out how to do it. Persevere and then you you have to almost protect that time in order Mm -hmm. for it to happen. I love the fact that she included the boy, right? Because I know Mm -hmm. I've done, I read usually at the end of the day, I'll read a book to my kids and then I'll read mine, right? But I love how she just invited him to join her Mm -hmm. and they're both reading. Mm -hmm. So if she creates this habit... Mm-hmm. How wonderful is that, right? Yeah. Love yeah. it. Todd, I have a question for you, if I may. Something that I really love about 
what you do for a living as a children's book author is that your job is to create opportunities for parents to have really intimate special time with their children every evening before they go to bed through reading. And I know that's one really great way to inspire a love of reading with your kids. Do you have any advice for other ways to pass a love of reading onto your children? First of all, I would say reinforcing the love of reading at bedtime is number one and is a very special time because it's undivided attention. It's a time of the day where you're not trying to multitask, just Mm -hmm. squeeze 10 things into what should be a two-minute and as you know, Freddie, from being a dad, you have to work on kid time and kid attention. The kids don't work on adult attention time and are not able to multitask like that. Right. Other than bedtime reading, any time is, is a good time to have a book when they're in a stroller, when you're on a bus, when you're in, the, in a car seat. Just to have a book, it doesn't have to be read this book. It's one of those things that always having a book handy, they will turn to it. Mm-hmm. When my wife, Mary, who obviously you know, she's your niece, when she was pregnant, I started reading all of the parenting magazines. And one really great tip I got was there was an obstetrician that had wrote an article about it's never too early Mm -hmm. to start reading to your children. Even in the womb, he wishes that more parents would do that. So I started picking that up and it felt strange at first, but I really got accustomed to it. And now that my daughter is four months old, I really love just sitting around my lap and reading the book. And we have books that are really sturdy, which I think is a good investment because Mm -hmm. she can hold them in her own hands and she can just start to understand the mechanics of how a page turns and then put it in her mouth and she can understand how a book (laughs) tastes and it'll it'll, it'll get more complicated later on. But uh, I just, I I really, really want to pass that advice on as well, which is I don't think it's ever too early to start reading to your children. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Now, obviously technology has given us the opportunity also to have audiobooks, Dr. Laos. I know that your kids love to listen to audiobooks. What can you say to parents who think, well, I don't, we don't have the time to sit down and do this and do that. Do you take an audiobook and just get in the car and maybe that could be a good time to read? Right. Uh, technology is a good thing and a bad thing, right? When mm-hmm. we use it well, it's great. <laughs> and so, you know, you're going on a, on a trip and you've got two or three hours, you know, that's a great opportunity to try an audiobook and, and get them exposed to that. And there's just some great ones today. I started when my kids were babies and newborns. And so it was really hard as a mom to read, kind of like the example that we saw in the skit. And so I would just listen to books. And so my kids have gotten used to it. So now I have to kind of get figure out if the book is appropriate because I do play mm-hmm. audiobooks while I'm doing chores and things like that. And that's how I get a lot of my reading. But I realize that my kids are listening. So sometimes they've got a vocabulary that's a little bit too big for them because mm-hmm. they're just picking up on stuff. But they've learned to appreciate audiobooks because they've grown up and did as babies. Whether it's audiobooks or hardcore books, what reading with my children and teaching them the love of reading has taught me that it's much so much has been about me and not so much about them. Like the routine of reading to them at night, it's much so much about me because I'm tired and I'm exhausted and I really, you know, and they each of the kids has a different reading level. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to, you know, in the different bedtime it hasn't been practical for me to read the same thing to them at the same time so it's like I really just want to go to sleep or take a nap or watch tv I don't want to sit there and read (laughs) but because I've created such a habit and forced myself to do it they want it and now you know I can't even even if I wanted to can't get away with really not you know slipping a night without reading to them and so I think the routine and what you're talking about, Freddie, just even early on, it's so much about you as a parent getting yourself into the habit because then they will love it and they love to read. But it's because we've created that habit. But then it's so much on me as a parent mm-hmm. to basically make myself do it. I like creating that routine. I will tell you something. I didn't grow up 
mm-hmm. reading so much. Now I think I find myself because I took the initiative to start reading more with my kids. And sometimes I feel really tired, too. And yeah. my daughter will come up and she'll say, I have Purplicious today. Can, are we going to read this yeah. one tonight? And then I think, yeah. yeah, this is a good thing. Yes, we're going to read Purplicious tonight. Let's read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Well, and some of my kids, you know, Catalina, she just has the books memorized, right? <laughs> so you're yes. just going through the books, you know, some of the ones that are favorites. And you're uh-huh. just like, she's just reading along. She's not reading. She's just <laughs> going along with it. <laughs> well, it's fun. Well, all this talk of reading stories and reading children's stories particularly has actually made me want to hear a story of her own, which is fantastic because our next sketch is actually a children's story hmm. called Alexia Dyslexia. Let's go ahead and have a listen. The second seat of the fourth row of Mrs. Eckert's fifth grade homeroom is the favorite seat of Alexia Lewis. It's not too close to Mrs. Eckert, not too close to the back wall, but just close enough to her friends, Jayla, Kayla, and Kennedy. Alexia loves her friends at school. She loves to go to art class and mix paints. She loves to play soccer and run faster than the boys. She loves to tell jokes at lunchtime and make teachers laugh. Alexia doesn't love Mrs. Eckert because she makes her students stand when they read and write cursive instead of type and clap erasers at the chalkboard. But most of all, Alexia doesn't love Mrs. Eckert because Mrs. Eckert calls Alexia lazy and a daydreamer and wants to make Alexia repeat the fifth grade. Alexia's grandmother is named Grandma May. Grandma May loves melted ice cream sandwiches. She loves that her fingers are still fast enough for her piano. Most of all, she loves her granddaughter, Alexia. Every year, on the day after her birthday, Alexia stays with Grandma May, writing thank you notes, playing piano, and eating melted ice cream sandwiches. Alexia says her 11th birthday is her favorite so far because the numbers are both the same. Old enough now, says Grandma May, to write your own birthday notes. My fingers are aching besides. But I like the way your handwriting looks, Grandma. Oh, I do too. Just can't quite write anymore. But go ahead like you always do. Talk out your notes. I'll let you know how they sound. Uh, Only this time you write them out. You're practicing in school, aren't you? Yes, but... Hold on to your butt. Grandma May always says this when Alexia doubts herself. And it normally makes her granddaughter laugh, but it doesn't today. It takes Alexia seven minutes to write her first thank you note. It is three sentences long. It takes Alexia four hours to complete her assessment. It's frightening to be taking another test. She never does well with tests. They make her feel foolish, like her brain doesn't work the way it should. Like there's something wrong with me. There's absolutely nothing wrong with you, says Mr. Carlos, Alexia's new reading therapist. Actually, Alexia, you're awesomely intelligent, and you're ready to read at an advanced level. I have a few exercises we can try to help your reading and spelling. Nothing too terrible. You won't even have to repeat the fifth grade. What do you say? What's next? The third seat of the second row of Mrs. Slaughter's sixth grade homeroom. That's the newest favorite seat of Alexia Lewis. It's not too close to Mrs. Slaughter, 
who everyone says has halitosis, not too close to Eddie Warren, who everyone says stares at Alexia, but just close enough to her friends, Jayla, Kayla, and Kennedy. Alexia loves her friends at school. She loves her grandmother, Grandma May. She loves drawing perfectly proportionate buildings on college-ruled notebook paper. She loves when people tell her she can't do something, because if she wants to do something, she'll just do it anyway. Alexia doesn't love keeping secrets. And she feels a little silly. She kept such a big one such a long time. All right, and we're back after being serenaded by the beautiful bedtime story, Alexia Dyslexia. So beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Just a, a quick fact before we dive in. Dyslexia is the most common learning disability. It is the difficulty to process written language or spoken language, particularly reading. One in five people suffer from dyslexia. With a proper diagnosis, however, treatment and support, children or adults with dyslexia can thrive academically and socially. Hmm. So just a bit of public awareness about that. So we have Alexia, who is an 11-year-old girl with dyslexia. What is the world like for a child like Alexia? Doctor, what is going through her mind? You know, just first of all, I love stories. And this is such a reminder of how mm -hmm. children's stories are just wonderful and quite an opportunity for us to teach kids different things. So throughout the course of the parenting podcast, we've talked about everything from forgiveness to anger to so many topics. And sometimes we forget that one wonderful resource is being able to read stories. And there's such a wealth of um, children's stories that tackle all mm -hmm. of these issues. And so if you haven't as a parent, definitely check out your local library and check out the wonderful resources that are there that, you know, you can teach kids all sorts of issues about character to everything through the books, just like we experienced with Alexia Dyslexia. With dyslexia, like many other concerns, it's frustrating for a child when you just don't understand what's going on and you mm -hmm. recognize that you're taking too long, that you're having problems at school, that you're not progressing. And it's easy for then shame to kick in and say, what's mm -hmm. wrong with me? Why am I not getting this? I'm dumb. I'm stupid. You know, I'm not getting it right. And as we saw or we listened to, excuse me, as the story unfolded, that there's just wonderful interventions mm -hmm. that we are able to tap into. And the earlier we're able to recognize that something is wrong, like dyslexia, the better outcome it is for the child. So as parents, let's not be negligent when we see our kids are struggling academically with something. And in this case, dyslexia, let's go ahead and, and get them the care that they need. And, and they will be able, and a lot of schools today have so many wonderful programs mm -hmm. that they are. So, you know, if as a parent, you're like, I can't afford that check out the school district, regardless, because they've got these programs, you know, at no cost for the parent. Absolutely. Now, in our story, we heard the fifth grade teacher. She already planted a seed of insecurity in Alexia by calling her lazy. But then we also saw good interventions. Those were Grandma May and obviously the reading therapist, Carlos, who both of them were really working with Alexia and motivating her to continue to learn. That made a difference. How can we adults be more aware, more empathetic, and just be more helpful to someone that has dyslexia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you saw it so clearly played out in the story that, you know, we can take a stance of, you know, you're just being lazy. So if you find yourself name calling, whether it's in your head and you don't mm -hmm. actually put it out, but then you start acting to the child with that reservation mm -hmm. and that cynicism and you just start feeling frustrated with that kid. 
that's probably a sign that it's a cry for help, that they need something and that they, they need the care. And the, there are so many diagnostic tools today that could discover whether it's Alexia, whether it's ADHD, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of resources that can help uncover that. And then as soon as that's discovered, then an appropriate course of action can be taken in terms of coping skills or mm-hmm. treatment in order to help that child move forward. But one, as a parent, unfortunately, I've, I've had the opportunity to work with parents that have witnessed a child with a problem, dyslexia, autism, you name it, different things, and as a therapist or somebody that's trying to bring awareness to the parent Mm -hmm. because of that issue, and you see a sense of rejection of that diagnosis because Mm -hmm. you're like, no, I don't want that stigma, I don't want to deal with it, that denial. Yes, of course, there's circumstances where things are overdiagnosed, but if you're seeing, one, that your child is struggling, and two, you've got professionals, whether it's school teachers or, you know, different people that are around you saying, this is a concern, pay attention to that. And then as a parent, you're the greatest advocate for the resources Mm -hmm. that are at their disposal. When you feel like this one therapist is not working or this one treatment is not working, trust your gut and pursue, you know, go ahead, fight for your kid, mm-hmm. you know, if you will. I mean, you have to be aggressive, but do push for adequate care and intervention. There is help available, but sometimes you got to bring the the mama bear out. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. And you mentioned the, the parents that are in denial. Just check out and get them tested. You're not going to lose anything mm-hmm. with being tested, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe negative, not. but just be open to it. Mm-hmm. Love it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Todd, I have a question for you. Sure. I know that you're not necessarily an expert in dyslexia, but I do know that you know quite a bit more about children's literature than I do. Uh, something that I'm fascinated with as I go out and I go shopping for, for books for my daughter, Freddie, is it's no longer just about the pictures and the words, but the medium of the children's book. You know, there's materials for her to touch. I, there's even scratch mm-hmm. and sniff pages. And the whole way that a book is presented makes a big impact on the content of the story. So... If you were writing a book for a child with dyslexia, or even if you were just a parent looking for a book to read to your child with dyslexia, what are some of the things that would go through your mind? First and foremost is every child, and really every human being, wants to feel loved and wants mm-hmm. to feel happy and wants to feel special. And I think whatever, however you can convey that, not only through books, but just through actions, but specifically talking about books, looking for books that reinforce that love and reinforce joy and reinforce feeling special. Love it. Mm-hmm. Love it. Well, thank you for sharing that tip, Todd. Now let's listen to our last sketch. This one's called Once More with Feeling. What? It's time for bed. Oh, um, cool. I've done my bedtime yoga and brushed my teeth. Now I'm ready for my story. Do you want to watch TV? No. Television is strictly for the morning news and special events, like the Olympics. Turn it off, please. Tonight, we will be reading my favorite story. How about a kiss for me? It's a real page-turner. Just let me get cozy. Are you sure we can't just watch a movie? Oh, no. You can't get special treatment just because you're my cousin. You're getting good money to babysit me. I expect a brilliant bedtime story. Now, from the beginning. Uh, Do you like to kiss a dog? Do you like to kiss a frog? Stop! That's not how you're going to read it, is it? What? You sound positively bored. Try it once more. With feeling. 
Do you like to kiss a dog? Do you like to kiss a frog? Stop! 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 What? Orly, my friend, my dear sweet cousin, this is a book about kissing, about love. It's a kids' book. It's a masterpiece, a portrait of the human condition, of the universal search for love and acceptance that every person, no matter how misguided, how innocent, how naive, must learn to undertake. Take me with you on that search. From the top. Do you like to kiss a dog? Make a dog sound. What? You're a dog. Bark. Keep reading. Do you like to kiss a frog? You're a frog. Ribbit. Now fill yourself with gluttony. Do you like to kiss a pig in the mud and very big? Softer. Do you like to kiss a cat? Creepier. Do you like to kiss a bat? Brilliant. There's nothing I would rather do than be someone who's kissed by you. I'd kiss you back. I'd hug you tight. I'd tuck you in. I'd say goodnight. Now bring it home. And when the sun comes up again, I'll kiss you and be kissed again. Bravo, Orly! Bravo! Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. I've never had so much fun reading. I guess it's time for bed, huh? One tiny note. Yes? I couldn't help but notice that you skipped ten pages in the middle. Oh. The bunny, the cactus, the mop, the flea. They represent the fleeting, painful, foul, and clandestine nature of love. And they are all crucial, crucial to the story. I guess I was so into it I didn't notice I skipped some pages. Likely story. From the top. With feeling. Oh, goodness. That was so much fun. <laughs> now, we had little Stevie here, who's quite a director. Goodness. Oh, yeah. He had Orly, his older cousin, babysitting him. I guess he wanted his story delivered in a certain way with feeling. So he had him read it over. I was like, are we, is he what? reading a book or is he teaching theatrical? <laughs> I was like, is this Freddy when he was little? Yes, I was thinking the same thing. No comment. <laughs> but you know what? I think it made a difference because we saw Orly being so uninterested in the beginning. Uh, da, 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 yeah, da, da. And then as he... as, as um, He was a good Stevie, coach. Yes, Stevie coached him. He finally went into character and really got going. The, the feeling going there. Now, what difference does the delivery make when reading to our kids, doctor? Can that possibly incline them to read more or vice versa from an early age? Well, it sure was a lot of fun mm-hmm. when you're able to put some fluctuation there and get into it. Um, I will say, though, that I think it's more getting them, you know, I think it's really fun if you as a parent are able to get into the story and can put your acting skills on on and and play and have fun. Obviously, that's going to make an enjoyable experience for everyone. I will say, though, that it's not necessary. If you're really not an actor and that's really hard and you're just going to read it, well, not not like she was going to read it at the beginning, but, you know, reading it normally, (laughs) it's okay, too, because I think just the experience of you bonding with your child Mm -hmm. and having that moment and just reading to them is okay. So we don't want to set the stage so high that then you're like, okay, I, I'm not a good actor, actress. I can't do all these fluctuations of voice. It's just not me. So therefore I'm not going to read. Yeah, mm-hmm. no. Yeah. Go ahead and read. Enjoy the time. Even if it's normal, they're going to have fun. I think what we enjoy from the skit is have fun with it. Yes. You know, don't make it such a chore each time. Love it. Love mm-hmm. it. So Todd, here's the fun part is the story that we actually just heard, How About a Kiss for Me, was actually written by you. 
Ooh, yeah. What a, what a great book. So first of all, before we get into any questions, you know, I just want to say I hope that we did your story justice, and I hope that it was perhaps as you envisioned it when you laid it out on the page. Did we do an okay job? Well, I thought it sounded familiar. <laughs> um, Oscar, nominations, Oscar nominations for the actors. Oh, yeah. The actors uh, were, were fantastic. Yeah, it was fun. A plus. I'll let them know. I'll let them know you said that. That's quite a compliment. So let, let me ask you, writer to writer, I'm curious, when, when you sit down to write a children's book and you know that you have to not only create a good story, but you have to sustain the child's attention and potentially inspire in them a love of reading, how do you get inspired and how do you set about writing a new book? Get into the mind of the child who's going to be reading or to be read to. Look at it from the child's point of view rather than from the adult's point of view or the writer's point of view. If um, kids, if you know you're writing to a child who loves robots, then you can really make the robots intensive and, and things the child is going to like. If they like dump trucks, if they like princesses, just getting into the mind of the child. Um, I also think it's great to read in character just as a bonding experience mm-hmm. between the, the parent and the child. It makes it more fun for both. Absolutely. I'm curious, like in terms of drafts that you go through and, you know, different considerations that you take into as you as you edit a work in progress, about how long on average would you say it takes you to write a book? Sometimes drafts can be done in, a, in one sitting. Sometimes it takes 20 drafts to make it final. The difficulty with children's books is that it's easy to write a children's book, but it's difficult to write a, a good children's book. Mm-hmm. And um, editors are only looking for good children's books or really great children's books. So you got to really nail it. What are some of the things that would distinguish, you know, a good or a great children's book? It's the same thing that distinguish any great book from any average book or any great movie for any great work of art or any great music is um, the feeling of emotion. It's how strong the characters are, how strong the story is, if it makes you jump up and down. Um, if the pictures look great, if it's something that you're going to walk into a bookstore and say, your child's going to say, I want that book rather than mm-hmm. the one right next door, which might be Dr. Seuss or something mm-hmm. that, you know, the, the bar is high. Tough right. competition. It's, it's a tough world. But again, I, I'm just I, I'm just such a big fan of yours. And even if I'm doing most of the jumping now as I read your stories to my four month old, I'm, I'm just so thankful that we <laughs> have your whole library at home. So thank you. Thank you for all the writing that you've done. That's awesome. Since you're talking about the process of writing a book, I'm just going to go and throw this one at you. Do you do focus groups with kids on your books? Like to get reactions of the kids? The focus groups, yeah, I don't do focus groups per se, but I do readings at schools or awesome. sometimes at, uh, at bookstores. And you really get a sense mm-hmm. for what kids respond to. And not only, sometimes I'll read my book first and I'll say, we have a little more time. Do you want to read another one? And I'll read something by another author. And you can usually tell which are the authors that you're willing to follow and which ones you say, never read a book after you've read a, <laughs> never read a book of your own after you've read one by Mo Willems. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Thank you for writing books for our kids. Mm-hmm. Now, Dr. Alicia, for those of us that speak more than one language, would you recommend that we encourage our kids to read in more than one language? Oh, that's wonderful if you're able to do that. I know there's so many studies out there that talk about, you know, kids are sponges. Mm -hmm. They just will absorb anything. So if you're able to expose them to different languages at an earlier age, even if you don't fully teach them that language, they later are going to have more affinity towards picking up a language and learning, and it's going to be easier for them because their ears are attuned. Mm -hmm. Um, Alternatively, if they haven't been exposed to it at all, it's harder. So if you have that gift you can give to your child of reading to them in different languages, go for it. And I know libraries carry books from different languages, so you don't have to go on a hunt for the book of another language. Oftentimes, (laughs) you can find them in the libraries. 
Cool. There you go. I just recently started reading Spanish books to to my daughter. We started with La Araña Muy Aquipada, The Very Busy Spider by uh-huh. Carl. And my favorite thing about it, I have to say, is I've been trying to speak Spanish for a while, but I'm still really just learning. So it's really helpful for me mm-hmm. to read children's books in a foreign language. And if you're a parent looking to learn a new language, it's another. It's a great activity that'll draw you to your child. And you know, the words are mm-hmm. simple and the pictures explain everything. So it's a great excuse to kind of go back to the basics of a language you're learning. That's, That's cool. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Dr. Alicia, what tips can you offer parents for keeping it real when it comes to reading? You know, just get yourself into the habit, whether it's at nighttime or if your if your schedule doesn't allow it, whether it's in the car. I love the tip of having books around the house. Mm-hmm. Have books around the house. Check out your local library. If your excuse is still you don't have time, play the audiobook. Yeah. And do try to create opportunities and space in the house. So I know it's so easy to always turn on the TV or just hand your kid in a tablet in the car. Mm-hmm. But reading is still way more powerful and important than the cool educational apps on the tablets. So if you had to choose and you only had your time in the car, for example, get into the habit of giving them the books. And if you haven't started, like any other habit, and if you haven't started yet with your kids with the reading, do like everything else. No, you'll get some pushback. You'll get, you know, it'll take time for them to get used to it. They might get very distracted. They might only do one page. That's okay, but start with those small steps and persevere, and you'll see that eventually they will pick on. And then once they love the love of reading, Mm -hmm. it's going to be way easier for you later down the road. There you go. Read a book. Pick a book. Read it. Mm-hmm. Read yourself. Yes. Because as they see you read, then, you know. Yes. Just read everything. And it doesn't matter. You can read billboards as you're driving by them. You can read them the phone book if you really want them to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Well, Dr. Alicia and Todd, thank you both so much for being here today, for sharing your expertise and your advice. Todd, where can we learn more about you and your books? Because I know our listeners are just going to want to go out and buy as many of them as they can. You can go to my website at toddtarpley.com, or you can... Find me hopefully in a bookstore or online. That's great. I've done that too. I've been walking through Colorado, Chicago, St. Louis, and I've hopped in a little bookstore and I've seen so many of your books, especially My Grandma's a Ninja. Thank- oh, I that's My Grandma's a Ninja sounds interesting. Todd has the, the most beautiful, wonderful books. Ten Tiny Toes is one I see a lot as well. Uh-huh. I love that one. Oh, that's cool. Let's pick one up. Yep. That ends today's episode of The Struggle is Real. Go ahead and take our tips and read a book. Even if it's just once a month, it'll do you some good. That's Thank cool. you all for listening. You can, hi- uh, you can find helpful resources at FamilyBridgesUSA.org. And, of course, you can follow us on social media with hashtag TheStruggleIsReal or hashtag TSIR. Thanks for tuning in. We're Veronica Avila. And I'm Dr. Alicia Laos. And I'm Freddie Beckley. Till Til next, next time. This was The Struggle is Real by Family Bridges. For more ideas on parenting, get your copy of The Struggle is Real by Drs. Paul Meyer and Alicia Laos on FamilyBridgesUSA.com.